Kadeem Layler. And I'm Bethan Moorcraft. And this is the Halfbank Podcast, brought to you by Money.ca. This week on the podcast, we've decided to shake things up a bit. Instead of diving into one topic with the help of experts, we're going to explore a bunch of topics, just the two of us. And to make things even more interesting... That's one word for it. We have absolutely no idea what the topics are going to be. Now, I'm not sure what we did to annoy our producers, but they decided to give us this episode with very little prep time. And to make matters worse, they're going to throw some random personal questions at us as well. This may be payback from one producer for not doing an episode on Magic the Gathering cards. But anyways, we hope you enjoy the chaos. Before us, we have the Wheel of Finance. Actually, it's just our computer with a topics randomizer and a sound effect. But hey, this is a podcast. So, what we're going to do is spin the wheel, click a button on the randomizer, and then talk about whatever topic we land on. We're not going to get through all the topics, but we'll see how many we can squeeze into this episode. All right, so let's spin the virtual wheel and find out what our first topic is. Is university worth it? Ooh. That's a good one. Yeah. I've often thought about this, actually. I studied English literature and language at university. I was a real book nerd. I loved everything about kind of studying language, etc. But I look back and I think it was a passion, and I don't know that it necessarily took me to, to where I am today. After that undergraduate degree, I then did a master's in news journalism, which was very much a kind of skills-based course. It was a sort of nine to five. I actually felt like I was a journalist throughout that year. So that kind of set me up for my current career. But uh, in order to get there, that's four years worth of (laughs) student debt, which hurts. I think about what I did did for my undergrad as well, like politics history, with the intention of being able to get into that field after. But mm-hmm. I guess sometimes uh, it's not just about the degree itself. It's kind of, you know, do you get skills, anything applicable, connections, any work experience as you go through that program? Because in the case of uh, me doing the politics history program, I was going to the University of Ottawa and I hoped to be able to get co-op placement. But it's just because not being bilingual really hindered my mm-hmm. chances of doing that. And then that kind of took away from, a, you know, a big piece of uh, why I went there in the first place. Um, let's just talk quickly, though, about paying for university. We've yeah. kind of touched on it a little bit, but I feel the weight of my student debt. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I'm paying back to the UK. Uh, it's a large sum, and uh, it honestly hurts myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's just one of those things that just comes out of my paycheck every month, and there we are. But that's the other thing you need to think about in terms of, you know, how you finance education and whether you go down the route that I have done because while I'm glad I did it the interest rates on my loan are you know punitive I would say and I think a piece of that too is going to university kind of like for the right reason because there was a study I looked at a while back that said that some people go to university just because it's like what they're supposed to do after high school they're not really sure of what they want to do with their career they kind of pick a random degree and it's just it's kind of too expensive to just do that just because or just have a degree yeah if you're not sure that you're going to really use it you're not really sure what you want to do with it afterwards you like we just as we discussed you kind of need to have a line in terms of who do you want to network with like what kind of companies do you want to work with you sort of need to know that have a sense of that at least before you go into it because you know twenty thousand dollars plus on average for like an you know, average four-year degree and you know more if you're an international student you can't afford to like not know where you want to go with it so question for you then uh if you could turn back time would you do it all again or would you do anything differently i think for me i definitely would try to get some like part-time work or volunteering or definitely would have been more proactive about trying to get work experience uh for my first degree even if I couldn't get the co-op placements, try to, you know, network, talk to my professors, the ones I got along with better, see if I could get some sort of work on, you know, experience my resume, uh, basically before I left that four-year degree, for sure. 
I think I may have chosen a different topic to study <laughs> undergrad, but you know, I, I loved my course. So, you know, there's, there's that too. I definitely needed to try a bit harder to network and kind of build a, I guess like a personal professional brand for myself from a younger age. That's a very kind of big task to put on yourself as a 18, 19 year old. But I think the earlier you can think about some of those things and be proactive about your career is the better. Okay, so now it's time for one of our mystery questions. Let's see. So courtesy of this jar in front of me, I'm going to pull one out. Let's see what we get. Your most annoying financial habit. How would your partner describe your money habits slash loved ones? Oh, I think I'm overcautious. I'm a no. I'm always a no. Oh, no. Too risky. Oh, you know, I don't want to do that. So I feel like that can be frustrating. And I also, if I need to buy something, I, I go camping a lot, for example. Okay. Um, and uh, there's always something new that you need, a sleeping mat or a sleeping bag or whatever. I've got most of it now. But I will research for <laughs> weeks, <laughs> waiting for the price to change. And it never does. Yeah. Um, like, there'll be a sale. I'll wait for the sale. Um, whereas if you just buy it, then you can enjoy it straight away. So that's probably um, the biggest bugbear against me, I would say. That is not too bad, though, actually. I mean, like, seems like you're, you know, like to definitely research the things you buy, and make sure they're the best. So mm-hmm. not the worst thing in the world. Maybe that's a middle point, but like, that's, yeah. I think that's better than the opposite, at least. I think uh, in my case, I think sometimes a small thing, I think that actually one of our previous guests pointed out, sometimes what you can do is like you'll forget you already have something in the fridge or whatever, then you go buy it again. And that just, and I think sometimes I have done that. It's like I'll buy more like blue cheese, whatever. Oh, we already have that. Okay, I didn't know. So something small like that, basically. But I think overall, though, I think partner would describe as, uh, you know, pretty cautious. But at the same time, I think we both like going out, we both like traveling a bit when we can. Um, but I would say Annika's probably more better with like not uh, going out, eating out as much. I more think, control. Yeah, I think uh, with her, I definitely get way less like skip the dishes. So that's a, I think that's a good thing. So now let's spin the wheel and see what our second topic is going to be. Okay, uh, retirement prep versus YOLO, trying to appeal to the young kids out there. So uh, let's dive into this one a little bit. I'll start off by saying I say YOLO. <laughs> but, but perhaps that's the Brit or the Welsh person in me. Who knows? I never thought of that, actually. Do they say YOLO over there? <laughs> <laughs> we definitely do. Um, retirement prep versus YOLO. Uh, well, this is an interesting one because I have never thought about retirement prep more than doing this job. Before that, it was just kind of, you know, a pension in the backseat. Yeah, maybe some RSP contributions some a little RSP bit. Some RSP contributions. Yeah. I think my view on retirement planning at the moment, and this is not advice, is that I have other milestones directly ahead of me that require the minimal savings that I have. <laughs> Same boat for sure. Yeah. So like Kitty, I know you're you're getting married this summer. Yeah. That is not a small expense. Exactly. Like because I feel like there's so many different things, like huge expenses that come up before you get to that point. I think at this point, when it comes to retirement prep, it's literally trying to put like maybe 100, 200 away kind of thing a month. And mm-hmm. then, you know, like hope that adds up because they always say, you know, $50 this month, by the time you're 60, whatever, it's going to add up to this much. And that's kind of been the extent of what I've done so far, just because you think about, you know, trying to um, get a house and then some of the costs that will come with that. Mm-hmm. Like I, obviously being, you know, my partner was a big piece of why we were able to do that. Being single, I don't think it wouldn't have happened yet. 
So doing that and then also costs that come with having a house and then kind of like the maintenance, uh, mortgage and so forth. And then, you know, wedding now. And then you think about maybe kids in a few years, possibly. And then Penny the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then after that, you're thinking even 20 years down the line, you're like, OK, now I can start saving, but not really, because then you want to possibly save up for their schooling too. education. Yeah. So then it's like, OK, so when do you really start trying to put away, you know, huge chunks of money? It just seems like the only thing that's workable at the moment is just the small sums and trying to do that consistently. Yeah, definitely the chipping away method. We yeah. can coin that here. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's um that seems like the only thing surmountable unless I, you know, hit that hitting, you know, mid six figures and it's all good to go. But at the moment it's just um that's all I can do. Yeah. I also I mean I don't know about you, but it feels like the uh retirement age seems to be just drifting further and further away into the future. No, hundred percent. and it seems like um, you know, because you can take it, I think Maybe U.S. example. I know you can take it early sometimes, but then it's like reduced benefits if you do. So you kind of ideally don't want to do that. So I'm just like, okay, I guess you kind of want to stick it out. Mm-hmm. And I guess for me too, I've always thought that ideally if I have, you know, mental capacity and physical capacity, I'll probably still do some type of work once I hit retirement age. And if it's not like a nine to five type of thing, mm-hmm. hopefully you establish yourself where you can continue to, you know, freelance or speaking, whatever it is, and still be able to have some money coming in. But then I wouldn't want that to like have to be financial necessity at that point. It's just kind of like, cause I want to keep my mind active. I want to keep contributing whatever, as opposed to, you know, I have to keep working, you know, until the day I die pretty much. Mm-hmm. Now I do understand the yellow mentality too, because, you know, if you look back to the pandemic, we couldn't spend anything. There was no discretionary spending. I was sat in my back garden reading books. And, you know, now suddenly everything's back open again, or it has been for the last year or so. And there are opportunities that, you know, I, f- I feel like I miss- missed out on some. That was, I was, you know, mid to late 20s during that time. And that's exactly. a time where you want to be going out with friends and exploring and trying new things and new foods, etc. So I do very much understand the sort of live for today, invest in yourself uh, idea. A social piece of it, too, is realizing, okay, so getting married now and then probably kids in the next few years, like you're, I, I honestly don't want to get on a plane with a toddler. I'm not bothered to deal with that. So I'm like, I, I want to try to travel as much as I can at this stage. And yeah, you know, learning things too, like traveling to New Orleans and just like seeing a new culture and then also seeing, you know, being able to like uh, see a guy slap an alligator, you know, just interesting experiences that just, you know, very well rounded. And like I said, yeah, I'm not trying to do any of those trips with a toddler myself. Fiance is kind of down, like I'm not doing it. So I'm understanding I'm going to be locked down for a few years. Try to do it now. Uh, interesting that you just slapped in seeing a guy slapping out, <laughs> threw in seeing a guy slapping alligator. No, that's what um, I'm willing to invest in myself. You know, like would I've seen that live? You know, a few feet away. If I had not done that, I would not have. So, so this idea of investing yourself can expand into so many different areas. I know in another half banked episode, we're going to look at investing, but there's you know that idea of spending money to you know, on self improvement or right. self education or all of these different types of things, even wellness. And, you know, we touched on some of those episodes uh, in, a, in a previous episode uh, on uh, mental health as well. Kind of like investing in yourself, in how you're living today. I think it's worth it. Yeah, exactly. Because a piece of it, mental health, avoiding burnout, all things that relate to financial success as well. All right, let's pick our next mystery question. What did you do with your first ever paycheck? I think... My first ever job, I was actually a cricket coach. Oh, um, cool. <laughs> yeah, back in the UK, I used to play a lot of cricket. And I'm pretty sure my first paycheck went towards some new gear, like a bat or um, new helmet. So uh, it was working in the sport that I loved to fund the sport that I loved. 
I'm I'm happy with that. No, How about sounds, you? No, that sounds awesome. I don't think I have a my story's not as cool. I'm pretty sure like for what, like Wonderland. So first uh, paycheck from that was probably maybe going out with a friend kind of thing. Like being able to have like more than like two beers without it hurting my bank account too much. I thought I you were gonna say one of those extra large slushies. <laughs> no, 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 I guess I was never into those as much. So I think that was uh that that was that was my uh, come up basically. All right, my turn to spin the wheel. Here we go. Okay, financial literacy. That's a big one. Absolutely. And I guess I'm wondering if we want to just focus on basically financial literacy at an early age. I think we've touched on, we always try to touch on a little bit as we're older, but I think this is something that should apply like as you're growing up, basically. Definitely. Well, we should start there because, you know, the earlier, the better, in my opinion. 100%. So I think that there's some programs from what I know, I think uh, across Canada trying to, you know, put it in like, you know, elementary school curriculums, but that's, I think only the last like 10 years that there's really been focused on that. I remember growing up, I'd never learned about simple things, just like budgeting and so forth. That's all stuff I just kind of learned, you know, the hard way, basically, when I kind of went off to university for the first time by myself at you know 17. So I think there's definitely a, a better roadmap for that. Uh, what did you close your experience like trying to learn uh, financial literacy? Oh, I had absolutely no financial literacy taught in school. Um, for me, it was very much steep learning curves all the way through higher education. I remember paying, you know, my first water bill and thinking, what, you know, what do I have to do? Like, who do I call? You know, things like that. It should be straightforward. You, you know, you leave home and you should be equipped to do all of these things. But unfortunately for us, our age group, I don't think um, that was well taught at schools. I do believe there is an effort now to improve that, that, address yeah. that. Yeah. And we had um, James Batterstone on one of the earlier podcast episodes um that was about who do you trust with your money and he he said there's actually quite a lot of educational tools and free resources at public libraries and things like that and there's of course lots of stuff online too but i think the issue is that you have to search that out exactly and the searching out can like be you know make a conscious effort and then also you know with online especially nowadays like we look at you know tiktok all the influencers people who are not really qualified to be giving financial advice telling kind of impressionable young people like you know buy this stock you'll get like ten thousand dollars in one month that just so just creates kind of more danger in a sense if you don't know the good stuff to look out for i think kind of if you want to dive into financial literacy online you need a base level of literacy to start with mm -hmm. and now i think like social media has just kind of made that much harder yeah, definitely. And just going back to the school point, I, I just wish someone had dragged me into a classroom and, mm. you know, made me learn about how to do my taxes and what what do all these different boxes mean? And, you know, what what is investing in the stock market, you know? Yeah. And then also because um, coming from uh, the UK as well, I mean, I think like what was your, have you filed your taxes for the first time like in Canada, I'm guessing by now? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the, the story behind that for, for people who don't know, um, in the UK, uh, as a salaried employee, often your taxes, um, you pay income tax through a system called pay or P-A-Y-E, which is pay as you earn. And so your employer or, or your pension provider will take your income tax and your national insurance tax out of your wages before you get it. So essentially, you just take your money and go. So before I moved to Canada, I'd actually never filed taxes. <laughs> so when I got my first T4 aged 24, yeah. uh, I was like, whoa, what is this? What are all these boxes? What do I do? 
um, you know, I did a lot of reading, but there's there's a lot to take in actually just to kind of understand what it all means. So I, I think in the end, I used some sort of online tax prep platform. I don't know if it was TurboTax or Well Simple or one of those, but in the years that have followed, um, I've kind of learned a bit more. And also, I don't know that I necessarily optimized my tax return by doing it that way. And that's, that's, that's important. But that's the thing. Cause like in my case, I'm, I'm lucky that my uncle, like uh, he helps me with him. He's an accountant. So he's able to get all the credits, like ask about all the different things and that stuff. You also really don't know unless you kind of have to go online, Google through that, like see uh, what can apply to you and so forth. You know, there's like work from home credits and all that, but that stuff I would not have thought of. I was just doing it myself. Mm-hmm. And obviously taxes get more complicated. If you also have like, do you have a second job? Are you kind of like partly self-employed? All of that makes everything more complicated. And it's stuff that, yeah, you're kind of stuck just kind of learning yourself or trusting someone. And at least in my case, made it easier to trust um, this person because, you know, related by blood, but not everyone necessarily has the luxury of having the person that you're related to them doing their taxes and so forth. Yeah, definitely. And just kind of building on the newcomer to to Canada issue, um, I read a stat recently, uh, it was last week, I think, that the Canadian government counted more than 800,000 foreign students in Canada at the end of last year, which is a 31% increase over the previous year. And a lot of those students, like, I love it here. I'm sure they do. A lot yeah. of students will stay in Canada on a postgraduate work permit. Then they may get permanent residency and, you know, down the line may even become citizens. They're all learning a new financial system yeah. when they move here. And it's different around the world. Like it, you, you might think the UK and Canada is quite similar. And of, of course, there are similarities. But I had to learn a lot in the first few years when I moved here. I mean, yeah, filing taxes, that's a huge one. Yeah. And then even just when it comes, I guess, to like moving somewhere else and finding like the value of things. Because even as you move from province to province, um, I have some family like you know, I lives in Yellowknife. The cost of goods like, you know, vegetables, much more expensive over there. Kind of knowing good value for goods, basically. That's one small thing that might not translate sometimes depending on what country you're coming from. Mm-hmm. The other one for me was the use of credit cards. Oh, yeah. Um, so when I, as a young person in the UK, and I think this is quite common, I pretty much only used a debit card. It was good for a few reasons. You know, I only spent the money that I had at a very small overdraft, never tr- tried to never go into it. Um, and, you know, what did I, what, why would I use a credit card to use money that I didn't technically have? That was my thought process at the time. Moving here, I now realize that, you know, almost everyone uses a credit card for all things, yeah. <laughs> all purchases. And you start pretty early because I'm trying to think about my first one I had at university. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that, I mean, obviously there are benefits. Um, you build up your credit score, you have protections that you wouldn't have on a debit card, all sorts of things like that. But I do personally think that it may lead to some, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> spending, un- not unnecessary spending, like but spending. careless spending maybe sure. among young people. Yeah. I remember looking at some students, uh, I came to U of T for a, an exchange for a few months. And there were students with huge widescreen TVs. Uh, you know, there was me watching, t- you know, Netflix on my phone back yeah. in London. <laughs> yeah. I just thought, how are you affording to buy that? Yeah. And it's all been put on a credit card. So yeah. I don't know, for me, that was a bit of a culture shock, a big change, but, uh, you know, everyone learns 
The hard way. Yeah, because I, I touched on that in the very first episode of Bank of Parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a while, I was like doing, you know, going out and I was spending for like, you know, Uber or like cab rides at the time, I guess, before Uber, not to date myself too much. <laughs> but spending cab rides, you know, on the, putting them on the credit card and kind of not thinking much about it. But that stuff adds up, you know, like weekend over weekend. Next, you know, it's a few hundred dollars added up over something that you just you're not really thinking about it because it's just so easy. You know, tap the card, put the code in at the time, whatever. And then you just get to go. So, you know, it does make, I think, a piece of it aside from cash, too, it just makes it um, harder to track in a sense, unless you're actually making sure you go in online, checking your statement. And that's something that that's the small thing I've learned to like be more careful of as I go along is now I just kind of like have like, you know, a weekly or biweekly check in on my statement, looking through the purchases instead of just scanning, scanning, scanning and just uh, leaving it at that. Yeah. And there are lots of apps and tools and things like that that you can use to do that so to, to keep track of your finances. Yeah. Um, in a better way and there are some specifically for like uh, subscriptions too and which is a small point but apparently like it's pretty common for people to spend you know fifty dollars plus hundred dollars plus a month on subscriptions they're not even using so that's a small thing is checking checking for those things you don't use anymore and again with a credit card it's easy to forget about those expenses mm-hmm. so you know thinking about this w- would you describe yourself today as a financially literate person I, I'm still I'm still more to learn. Um, I think that there's so many different areas of financial literacy. I think I think budgeting I've definitely become better with, like just in terms of uh, kind of like judging the value of something I'm buying. You know, is it worth it? Kind of trying to look long term, but also looking long term, balancing the short term. Something I'm still working on, like our whole retirement talk. But then also I think um, investing is something that I'm still, you know, definitely um, not very versed in. So trying to get better with that. But compared to where I was like 10 years ago, uh, miles ahead for sure. Yeah. That's good. I would say the same. Um, but there's always new things to learn, as you said. So, you know, we're talking a few days after the uh, Bank of Canada raised interest rates to right. 5%. I'm not sure if you asked just a, the average person on the street that they would understand fully what that meant for their finances, for future purchases, for loans, etc. I honestly, before I started uh, working here, I don't think I would have either. Mm-hmm. So that, that just shows that. Yeah. <laughs> so. And that's something... You know, we can talk about financial literacy in schools, um, you know, education for newcomers, all of these different things, and just kind of learning through experience as well. But being able to pick apart what's changing in the current economy is another kind of important thing that we need to figure out a better way to kind of break down into (laughs) normal language. Yeah, because I was going to say, if you have an economics class, they might teach the primary piece, but they might not tie it back to if you have any sort of, you know, mortgage and so forth. How does that affect you directly? I think part of like how you make it more applicable is tying it back kind of like at that level. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, even just, um, you know, introducing classes that teach people things like filing taxes, opening a bank account, budget, credit card debt, you know, why you don't want it, like the interest, all of those things that people kind of gloss over when they're trying to sell you credit Mm -hmm. cards, basically. Yeah. All right. My turn for the jar. And our next random question. What is the first thing you ever saved up to buy that you are proud of? I think what I, from what I can remember, uh, was getting one of my mom's family friends. Uh, she was staying over for a while with us. And she's just very helpful, um, you know, very supportive, like over a summer. So when I saved up enough, uh, she like needed a new robe, my mom suggested. So I got her a new one. And that was kind of like my first uh, gift to someone else with like all of my own money. Yeah, kind of building on that. This isn't necessarily a gift or an object that I bought. But I remember the first time I, I took my mom to the ballet. 
Oh, and it's nice. just like something that you like an experience you can share with someone. And I, often I think it is with parents because they've, they spend money to bring you up and take yeah. you and give you experiences. And when you can give that back one day, it feels so good. Oh yeah. And so I thought that counts for them too. They definitely yeah. just appreciate that gesture. Yeah, definitely. That was a good day. All right. And the next random question from the jar. What is the first thing you would do or buy if you received a million dollars? I guess my head right now goes to just like paying off a house and upgrading to a bigger. But I feel like in Toronto, it's like it might just like barely be, yeah. be enough anyway. Um, so I guess, yeah, that, that is where my head goes. Well, I mean, I don't want to be boring, but I'd love to get on the housing ladder. Yeah. So that, that would help. Yeah. Um, let's do something a bit more outrageous. Like- no, exactly. So like, we'll say housing is kind of the default answer. It has mm-hmm. to be, especially living in GTA. So go to your yeah, real answer. I'll buy a one-way trip to Hawaii. Let's go. Okay, nice, nice. I was honestly thinking travel too. Like honestly, I probably just want to be able to just honestly travel a lot. A bunch of places in mind, like Australia, you know, Jamaica, of course. All right. Last random question. What's the worst buyer's remorse you've ever had? I've bought a few bad phones in my day. I don't know that it's the worst buyer's remorse, but it's the first thing that's come to my head. I refuse to spend money on phones because I, you know, occasionally drop them. (laughs) Occasionally leave them places. It's just the phone is my nemesis. So I keep buying, you know, I might buy a $200 phone or, you know, uh, these days to get anything good, you've got to spend 500 plus. Yeah. Um, so yes, I, do you know, I trust, I have, I had a trusty Samsung for years and then I switched over to some, to another brand and it was awful. <laughs> I hated it. Uh, I'm trying, I was, thankfully I guess like a house isn't on, isn't my answer. That would really suck. That would. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess like one of the things that but this might qualify and also taught me a little lesson to like the lesson sometimes of just like buying quality instead uh so like for jeans basically like sometimes i go to a more expensive place like jack and jones i'm like it's like hundred dollar jeans is ridiculous so i'm like let me just go to like you know walmart or I go to wherever and i buy those ones and they can fit okay but they just wear out like in literally two months the same level of wear i'd get from the more expensive ones in like a year sometimes you know a year and a half so i figured it actually it, it worked out to being cheaper over time to just buy the one expensive pair one time Mm-hmm. And then do that. And I thought that was that was my lesson on you know quality over quantity for some things at least. Do you feel like you uh, realize that at a certain age? Because I, I feel like I understand that, and I try to to go by that these days. Yeah. But probably didn't when I was twenty one. No, I definitely I think that definitely wouldn't have applied. I, I think I wasn't even in the position to really be able to buy quality buy over quality, quantity yeah. when yeah. I was younger. Um, yeah, so that's a side trip, but there was like a whole, um, I think there was a, something Terry Pritchard wrote, Pratchett wrote <laughs> about like this the allegory of the soldier, you know, the one who gets the expensive boots who keep him, you know, safe from rain and all that stuff. He can buy the one pair. They last him this long, mm-hmm. but the other poorer soldier has to buy the cheaper pair and he cannot afford to buy the expensive pair, but he ends up paying more long over the long term with the cheaper pair of boots because mm-hmm. he can't spend the amount for the more expensive ones at one time. So I think that kind of solidified it, but honestly that lesson only clicked with the jeans, like the last, I say that's the last five, six years. Well, big thanks to our producers. That actually turned out better than I thought it would be. Yeah, thanks producers. That was really fun. If you're still listening to our rambling, thank you. Our producers will probably make us do another one of these at some point. So if there are any questions you want to ask us or topics you want us to cover, please email us at hello at halfbank.com. And that was Half Banked. 
If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Special thanks to executive producer Samantha Eamon and producers Kevin Hamilton, Shane Murphy, James Baddison, and technical producers Marie Alkaber and Mohammed Tabish. For more information, you can check out halfbank.com. Until next time.